0: Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Chapter 6. If you're there with me, I'm going to get these little spectacles out right now. One of our little kids today said that I was 54. Crushed my heart. (laughs) Oh, it's the same one that said Tammy was 44. Well, okay, that's a win-win. It's a win for me. It's a win for me. Here it is. Jesus says in in chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching his disciples about life in God's kingdom. And he talks about the need for prayer in our lives. And he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Last week we talked about this concept of fervent prayer, this passionate prayer. This believing prayer. And we talked about how fervent prayer is powerful. It's sincere. It's persistent. It's for every believer, as James gave us the example of, of, uh, of Elijah, saying that Elijah was a person with a nature like ours. He struggled, he had fears, he had doubts. He wrestled with life as you and I do, but the Bible says that he prayed in faith. He earnestly prayed before God, and God moved powerfully. Through his prayers, as, as it tells us the testimony of how Elijah prayed and it didn 't rain for three and a half years, and then he prayed again persistently over and over and over, and then God moved and brought rain to the land as we pray, we pray God, believing that God wants to move in our lives. It becomes more natural though, this, ferv- this idea of fervent prayer Let, just show hands how many of you guys have a specific need situation in your life right now that you're unable to control or manage or change. Anyone have something like that going on like, There you go. Welcome to humanity. You and I were not made to sort of carry on with life as if we have the ability to manage it and to actually accomplish things that are, uh, un- we're unable to, to do. We're unable to change in life. And yet we can go before God, we can call on Him as our Father, and God chooses to move in response. But but we pray fervent prayers, these believing, persistent, not giving up kind of prayers, hope-filled prayers, when we have a closer relationship to God, when we know Him more intimately. And that happens in our life through regular contact with Him. Interaction with God over time puts a person's life in the kind of place where praying fervently and earnestly becomes a regular habit. Having doubts begin to actually sort of dissipate in our life because we're finding that, man, as I'm getting closer to God, I'm realizing that He has everything at His disposal, and anything that He wants to do, He can do, and so I'm going to call on Him to do that very thing in my life. So we look at this morning because when we talk about the life of a fervent prayer in this congregation, in your life, in my life, and say, man, what are some of the things that we need to say before God? When I was a new Christian, uh, people would talk about like, oh yeah, they went and they prayed for an hour, and I'm just like going, man, an hour? I'm like two minutes into my prayer. Dear God, hey, look at that squirrel outside. You know what I mean? I don't know if you're like that, but my ADD would start kicking in, and I'm like, did you turn off the stove? And then Why would you turn on the stove in the first place? Were you gonna make something? You know what I mean? Are you like that? It's like, gosh, I gotta go to work now. What do you say before God? It's interesting, the disciples, two years after the Sermon on the Mount, in the Gospel of Luke, it records, two years later, they went to Jesus after he had been spending some early morning time with his father, praying to God, and they went to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say, teach us to preach like you preach on the the shore, you know, when you spoke the Sermon on the Mount. They didn't say, teach us to raise the dead or teach us to prophesy. They said, teach us to pray because they saw a direct correlation with the time he set before uh, the Lord in prayer and the time he set aside for that with his public life. They saw his private life connected to the Father and they saw how it affected his public life. And they said, Lord, we want to live our lives like that. And Jesus uttered these same words that he says here in Matthew's gospel. When you pray, don't be like this. But pray like this, our Father in heaven. Now, is this something that you and I are to recite as sort of a a prayer from memory? There's nothing wrong with quoting scripture and reciting the Lord's Prayer. But I think that this is more of a model for us, if you would, of the kinds of things that you and I are to have in our time with God in prayer. God moves when we pray. You and I can talk to God. We talked about last week, setting some time aside, finding a place. Get in your Bible. We have reading plans outside at our Connection Center. They're also on our app that you can download. We have a two-year reading plan, so it's realistic for a person to read on a consistent, regular basis. But you take your Bible, you take that time, you say, God, I'm going to set aside 10 minutes today and just get to know you and read your word and spend time praying to you. It's amazing what can happen in a person's life, setting that time aside. Now, Jesus tells us, um, some of the things that, that we've got to make sure we don't confuse with a life of prayer. Uh, I like what one pastor said. He says that Jesus tells us, number one, we pray regularly, right? He said, when you pray, when you pray to God. So it's something that happens on a regular basis. It assumes that as a Christian, you want to get to know your father who adopted you into his family. He also talked about praying privately, why is this important? It's, it's not an issue of like, hey, I saw you guys praying, you know, at, at lunch the other day at, you know, Wahoos or wherever you guys go eat lunch, and gee, you know, the Bible says you're not to pray out publicly, you know. The idea is, is the motive behind our life of prayer, something we touched on last week, praying sincerely. You've maybe been in prayer meetings before where uh, someone starts praying and they're really just trying to tell someone they're bugged about them, you know, like, and Lord, help us to not be moody. You know, some of us around this household wake up a little moody in the morning, and it's not me. You know what I mean? Like, when you pray with your spouse, don't pray like that. Like, talk to God. But pray privately. It's not about your image. You're not supposed to be known as a great prayer, right, in life. He also said, pray sincerely. God's interested in the real you. You don't have to try to Come up with phrases that you maybe heard another person praying, like maybe that's a catchphrase that Jesus wants to hear. And if he hears it like that, it's like, boom, the door opens up. You know what I mean? No, pray sincerely. Something we read last week in James uh, chapter 5, when he talked about how Elijah prayed earnestly, literally it reads like this, and he prayed in his prayer. Meaning we all have The mechanical idea of praying and talking to God, like we have the mechanical idea of talking to another person, but he was really engaged in talking with God when he set aside that time of prayer. That's what it meant to be an earnest person who earnestly prayed. He prayed in his prayer. It wasn't half-hearted. You don't have to be worried about saying the right thing. You know, uh, maybe you grew up in churches where where people like they talked normal, and then when we went to pray, it was just like, wait, what the heck? Who just took over that person's body? You know what I mean? Like, like, oh Lord, you know what I mean? Like, Father, we just, you know what I mean? Like, are you Catholic? Is this Father? Who's Father? We just? I don't even know who that is. (laughs) Or in Jesus' name, you know what I mean? That might have ruined the whole message right there. <clears throat> now that ought to do it, right? I said it in Jesus' name. Pray sincerely. And here Jesus tells us to pray specifically about specific things that should be included in your life on a regular basis, consistent basis with God, using this model that Jesus gave us as his followers. There's two parts to the prayer. The first part focuses on God the one to whom we pray, the other part focuses on our human need, the things that you and I need from God. So praying specifically, it begins with number one is this remembering the person that you're praying to, the person of God, awareness of who he is, and all that he, that, that, that he is as God. He says, pray like this: our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. He's our Father. You know, that was a very new concept for the disciples that that, that blew everybody away, including the Pharisees. This idea that you could address God as father. When Jesus rose from the dead and uh, one of his followers was there, Mary, she clung to him and she says, and you know, she wasn't going to let him go when she discovered that Jesus had risen from the dead. And he says like, hey, like, you know, you got to let me go. Like I haven't ascended to my father or your father yet. I think that through the cross, Jesus opened the way for you to have God as not only your creator and sustainer of your life, but as this intimate relationship with God as Father. Remember the person to whom you are praying. You've been as a Christian, when a person believes the gospel, when they believe that the cross and Jesus hanging on the cross was enough to cover their sins. And they, and they invite Jesus Christ to take up residence in their life, they become a follower of Jesus, right? What happens is the Bible confirms that you have been adopted at that very moment into the family of God. When, when, when John was explaining what happens when a person accepts or believes the gospel, he says in John chapter 1, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Paul tells us in Romans 8, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. This God that created us, we can call upon him. And part of our praying is this understanding of who he is, the person of God, but also the the awe that you and I might have for him, right? He's our father in heaven. He's the sovereign ruler of all things, the creator of everything, the sustainer of everything of this life. He'll judge the world one day in righteousness, the Bible confirms over and over again, yet he calls you his son or his daughter. He invites you to come boldly before his throne, but you come reverently before his throne. He's our father in heaven, and Jesus said that we have this understanding, holy is his name, holy is his name. Some of us might have grown up in church environments where the, our concept of God is, it's like he's holy, he's a creator, almost like unapproachable. I don't want to talk to God about my friendship that's going, you know, south with, you know, the coworker I work with or whatever. Like, that's not, like, there's a lot of crud going on in the Middle East, right? Like, God doesn't care about that kind of stuff. Like, oh, mom, I'm really hoping I get a good teacher this year. Honey, don't bother God with dumb stuff like that. Like, no, no, no. We, we have a, a God who's approachable as a father. But others of us have grown up in, where, where we have this concept like, oh, the man upstairs is going to take care of my life. Oh, Lord, give me a parking stall at Fashion Fair. Better yet, why would I go to Fashion Fair? You know what I mean? Just order on Amazon. And we almost lose that sense of respect and awe. He says, listen, you know what needs to be included in our regular times with God? Worship. God, I stand back. I stand in awe of who you are. I recognize that you are my father who's adopted me, but holy is your name. And so we begin this time with God with reverence, worship. God, I, 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 I praise your name because you're holy. I praise your name because you willingly went, went to the cross for my sins. This idea of the person of God, his name is to be kept holy. He's God. He's to be revered. He's to be worshiped and treated with the highest honor. And so prayer includes worship and praising him for who he is. He's God and rightly recognized to whom we pray. That's how we approach him. So we say, God, I recognize you're our father in heaven. Holy is your name. Praying specifically also includes the purposes of God. When he said, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth As it is in heaven. This is this idea that, Lord, when I'm praying to you, I want to align myself up with your will and your kingdom. Really, prayer reminds us that we're followers of Jesus, that we're disciples of Jesus, and that our lives ought to be desiring to be in line with his kingdom, in line with his will. The scariest place for your life for your children's life, for our church's life, ought to be completely out of God's will. There's things that we've prayed for. Maybe you prayed for too. You said, Lord, I really want you to see this, you know, you do this. Have you had that moment where you look back a dozen years and you say, man, I'm so glad God did not answer that prayer. You know what I mean? Usually has to do with going to a class reunion or something like that. You're like, oh Lord, I was praying for you to open the door for me to date him. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus, right? Thank you in Jesus' name. <laughs> you line yourself up. It's, it's Prayer is about getting God's will done on earth, not our will done in heaven. Lord, I want your will. I want my life to be about your kingdom. It's submitting to him. So true prayer, our balanced life of prayer, really is about His kingdom and His will. Here's a great question to ask when you and I are praying about situations in our life. If God granted this request, would it bring glory to Him? If God answered this prayer, would it honor Him? Would it bring glory to His name? Would it advance His kingdom? Would it help somebody in some way? Would it help me grow spiritually, as a human being, because God moved in answer to that particular prayer. You can see how the American dream, uh, which is alive and well, how it also can sort of taint our prayer life a little bit, right? Where we have this idea that, you know, what I read in the Bible, it's in the book of Elonians. God wants me happy. There it is, chapter 1, verse 4. God wants you happy. God wants you holy. God wants me in alignment with his will and his kingdom. And sometimes it might it might bring uh, difficulty in this life, and he might allow some some difficulty in our lives and keep back some of the things that you and I pray for, because it'd actually be a hindrance and a mess for us. Have you ever watched those shows of like people that win the lotto? And then you like they, they they follow them like five or ten years later? Like nobody's doing well, you know what I mean? everybody's jacked up they go and buy and i would have the audacity my my insurance guy for my birthday gives me a scratch-off ticket every single year and i lay it before the lord (laughs) you know what i mean like lord what 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 could the harm be for me to get you know whatever they break it up like four hundred thousand dollars a month or something like that you know i'm good for it jesus you know what i mean the purposes of god he's not a genie in the sky where we say lord do this for me and do that for me we see god as somebody that can help build our kingdom up no it's about his kingdom and his will praying your kingdom comes it purifies my life i begin to pray kingdom kinds of prayers of course we pray for our needs he invites us to pray for our needs and he tells us that in this prayer model but Kingdom prayers. You know, last week I asked you, who are you praying for in 2020 that they'll open their eyes up and come to know Jesus Christ personally? That's a kingdom prayer. God, save their souls. Work in their hearts. Send people their way to show them your awesome love and their desperate need for you as a Savior. A kingdom prayer is, Lord, use my life. Lord, I've been praying for a new job But for some reason you want me to stay at this job because there's something more for me to do at this job. That's a hard prayer to pray, right? I'm not raising my hand like I'm looking for a new job. I'm just suggesting that sometimes we want new jobs, and God's like, but man, right where I have you is exactly where you need to be. Oh Lord, I'd love to get into a new neighborhood. Like, so you cannot talk to those neighbors or invite them to church too? praying the gospel would reach people in our community, that God would use your young people in, 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 on their teams and in their classes and, and, you know, in all the areas that God would lead your kids, lead you and your family as you're there at Little League and you're there at wrestling tournaments and dance and all that kind of stuff. Lord, use our lives to be a light as we meander through and journey through with our children through their elementary ages into college life. His will above my own. Prayer isn't about getting my wishes fulfilled. It's about getting God's will done in my life and on earth. And this is where we get real with the Lord. And this is where prayer changes us. He refines us. I mentioned Hannah. Hannah in the Bible. We read about her in 1 Samuel. She was a fervent prayer. She prayed earnestly. And one time she went to the the sanctuary when she would go to, you know, worship God yearly with her husband. And she wanted desperately to have a child. And Hannah prayed. And 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 the priest at the time, Eli looked at her and said, Woman, give up your drink. It's long, you know, it's like five in the you know, eight, eight, three in the morning. She's like, listen, first of all, don't call me woman. No, she didn't say that, but like, I'm not drunk, because she was just her lips were just moving. And, and she's like, This is a, a a desperate heart. And Eli looked at her and said, You know what? Go your way. God's gonna grant your prayers. And she had a child. Samuel was his name. And the Lord refined the kinds of things. She said, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. There's something about praying God's will and God's kingdom where he starts to change the things we're praying for and about. Lord, I really want to be in the center of your will. I want my life to be about your kingdom. Whatever that next door is that you want to open, Lord, I only want it to be your very best for my life. And so it's praying the purposes of God, praying the purposes of God. Jesus exampled this to us in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He was praying to the Father, sort of a last-ditch effort. Is it possible for human beings to be saved without me going to the cross for their sins? And three times he prayed, and three times he heard silence because it wasn't possible. But he exampled to us, Nevertheless, he said three times, not my will, but your will be done. The next thing we see in this model of prayer is the provision of God. Lord, I worship you. God, I line myself up with your kingdom because you are the ruler and sustainer of this entire universe. And why would I want anything other than your will and your kingdom to be a part of my journey on this earth? But the next is the provision of God. God's interested in the everyday business of living. I love this. There's nothing off the table that you can talk to God about. When, when, when uh, the author of Hebrews tells us in verse, chapter 4, verse 16, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. There's something that people have like mixed up with the Bible. One Sunday, one day we'll do like a series on things that aren't in the Bible And one of them is, is God helps those who what? Help themselves. Like, that might be a great way to get people, like, off your back and like, hey, man, just go take care of it. Take care of business, right? God helps people who ask for help. And here the author says, come boldly. Y'all need some help this week? Lord, I need your help. And, And when you're praying, you know when you are in a moment of desperation, you don't need to go through like, okay, wait, our father in heaven. Okay, first let me praise you. And, and then like, okay, oh, my car's getting closer and closer to the other car. Like, oh gosh, uh, your kingdom come. To... Oh, I didn't get to the part where God help me not crash. You know what I mean? Like you don't need to go through this. This isn't a formula where you have to go through, check, check. Was that enough time? No, Jesus wants 48 seconds on the praising him and, our Father in heaven. You know what I mean? No. You talk to God at any moment of the day. This is talking about building the quiet time. Philippians 4, verse 6, don't worry about anything. It said, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Our daily needs. I love this. He says, give us this day our daily bread. You might need gluten-free bread. He'll give you that too. Right? Our daily bread. Our daily needs nourishment. What was he saying in this moment? He's saying that if we can ask for the thing that represents the the smallest part of my existence, my need for daily food, then nothing is too big for him and nothing is too small for him. His provision is that we can say, Lord, today I need daily bread. It teaches us that we can come to God for the smallest things in our life. Because again, bread does represent the smallest part of our existence. It means he's concerned about everything else. Lord, I need to be able to live today. He's concerned about those things. And it opens the door for everything else. What is the everything else? Relationships. I mean you guys have a relationship right now in your life that you are unable to fix? You need some divine intervention. Can I just get a show of hands real quick? Right? That counts for everything. If I go to God for daily bread, that means I can ask him, God, I need you to come in and repair and give me wisdom and direction for these broken and jacked up relationships. A job so that you can earn some money to pay for that daily bread that God provides for you. Your ministry, your marriage, salvation for a loved one, emotional health, restoration for our brokenness that we sort of like lead our lives through on our journey on earth God wants to be involved in that physical needs to say a few you know something else I thought about this week are you like me where you feel like man I caused this mess in my life how could I go and ask God to help me navigate out of this jacked up situation that I created myself you feel like I deserve what's happened anyone like that you deserve worse (laughs) and so do I (laughs) Here's the good news is that God already knows that you're the one who created that mess and he still invites you and I to ask him for help. You've got a relationship that you yourself has created distance or problems or or drama. You know, God is so good that his grace is big enough to cover your mistakes, my mistakes, and to bring healing and to bring restoration. And you can go before him with those things. Because He's a loving Father, and He's an eternal Father, He truly knows what's best for me. And He'll provide what we need. We come before Him with our needs, not our greeds, somebody said. We're completely dependent upon Him for everything that pertains to this life. And if He says, pray for bread, that thing that represents the smallest part of my existence, then I must be, and so must you, be more dependent on Him than we think. Why would we go about 2020 with like, I'm in charge, I got a God. Sit this one out. Why not go into 2020 with a, God, this year's going to be the year where I get the closest to you that I ever have been. And that I'm literally going to bring everything that I can't control any longer. And I'm going to bring it before you. And I'm going to learn how to be a regular, consistent disciple talking to you. And I'm going to come boldly and earnestly and fervently and pray until something changes with the situation. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you can ask him for your daily bread, for your daily needs. We don't tell God these things, one pastor said, because he's unaware of them. The value of prayer is that it keeps us in contact with God. We're designed to have daily contact with God Daily bread, not weekly bread, not monthly bread, not quarterly bread or yearly bread. It's daily bread for a reason so that you and I would go to him and talk with him and interact with him because that's what changes us. In the the Old Testament, the Israelites were cruising through the desert and every morning they're like, okay, what's up? What are we gonna have for breakfast today, right? And every morning there was uh, this like kind of flaky, you know, stuff on the ground that they called manna and they would make uh manna sandwiches out of it they would make manicotti out of it and they would just do this for 40 years they had this manna every single day it tasted like a vanilla wafer wouldn't that be like heaven just like dude every single day you don't have to eat broccoli a vanilla wafer just like sustains you and and it was some of the fellows were like Okay, Saturday or you know the uh, Friday rolls around, and 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 God said, "Hey, listen, there's not going to be any manna on the Sabbath because I want you to learn how to trust me." But some people are just like, you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna collect a little bit extra. You know what I mean? And uh, and then it it rotted when they tried to keep it overnight, and it stunk, and it was it was you know just make you want to throw up in your mouth. It was so gross smelling. And, and the Lord, through Moses, rebuked him and said, like, I told you, man, every day it's going to be here for you. Trust me. The idea is that we'd have daily contact. The idea is that we would actually interact with God on a consistent, regular basis because it's not the bread that you need. You know what you need? You need the bread giver. I need God in my life. Have you, has God answered a prayer for you and you no longer need that thing that he did for you? right? You know, those things that you prayed for. Oh, Lord, would you please open this door? That door opened up, but you've moved on from that door. You needed Jesus. That's what I need. In 2020, I need not my laundry list of all the things I want to see you do, God, right? So that you could get glory. What I need is regular, consistent contact with God, my Father, because that's what will change me as a human being, regardless of the kinds of provisions that God brings or doesn't bring in my life. If you would make your, this, this, your, your New Year's resolution, you're gonna spend more regular moments with God in prayer, you're gonna carve some other things out of your life, whether that's some social media time, whether that's some TV time, You know what I mean? You're going to say, God, I do things that are important to me. I promise you, regardless if you have some hills or valleys in 2020, you're going to be in a better spot because you determined to know God more intimately and to pray to him fervently. Our provisions that he gives to us. And also, he says, the provision of forgiveness. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. We sin, we need God's forgiveness. When we pray before him, we spend time in his word, we recognize those areas of our life that they're not consistently lining up with who God is and the character of who God is. And we sin and we dishonor God. It could be attitudes that displeased him or offended another person. It could be lustful thoughts to dishonor the Lord. It could be actions that were are honoring to him. It could be a spoken word that, uh, to a loved one that tore them down, your spouse, your coworkers. You and I have all kinds of areas in our life where we struggle and we yield to temptation. The idea is not to say, oh, Lord, all my sins just want to lump them all together. The idea is to say, God, you know what? I want you to forgive me for that attitude that I had towards that person, my coworker, Or this attitude, this attitude of resentment that I'm allowing to rise up in my heart. Bitterness towards another person. Lord, I just confess that. You know what happens when you don't confess those things? They start to fester, they start to grow, and they start to actually take over your life. So he says, this idea we get to pray we don't make excuses. We own it. We say, Lord, forgive me. He tells us in First John, confess your sins to him. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our wickedness. We ask God to forgive us, and he does. We also remember that maybe someone else has inflicted a wound upon us. And so we say, Lord, forgive us our debts as we ask you to vengefully destroy those people who have hurt us. Or you forgive them too. That root of bitterness will take over, my friend. And it will destroy you to the core of who you are as a human being if you don't choose to forgive others. I liken forgiveness like the man who had the withered arm in the synagogue. Remember, Jesus looked at him and said, Hey, stretch out your hand. Dude, that's cold blooded, Jesus. His arm doesn't work. You know what I mean? Do you know the story? He had a show of arm. It's like going up to him and saying, Hey, high five it, man. You know what I mean? Fist bump. He can't use his arm. And yet Jesus says, hey, stretch out your hand. That takes an act of faith. It's not like he said, you know what? I was thinking about high-fiving someone today, Jesus. Thanks for reminding me. This was just an act of faith. That's what forgiveness is. You're asking me to do something that I don't feel like doing. Guess what? That's a step of faith. And he stretched out his arm. And I'm going to tell you right now, practice stretching out that arm of faith and forgive those who've wounded you and wronged you and will continue to do so, maybe get some boundaries, keep some of those toxic people out of your life a little bit better than 2020, but you forgive them. It's not an option for a Christian to hold, uh, to hold back forgiveness. It's not an option. That's a vengeful spirit, and God has a lot to say about a- allowing a revengeful spirit in our hearts to well up where we're seeking somebody else's destruction. He says to forgive them, even as Christ has forgiven us. And then the protection of God. I love this. And Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The protection of God. One I read once a statement, they said, Lead us not into temptation, I can find it myself. Lord, I need I need God to to help me, to guide me, to protect me, right? So I include in my praying, God, help me to walk with you today, to not yield to temptation today, to be strong in the face of spiritual attacks. Help me to see the pitfalls that the enemy is actually trying to lay before me so I can actually live a life that brings honor and glory to you. So we pray God's protection. Well, how does that work in our lives? How do we become men and women that pray fervently, is our series title, started last week? By cultivating regular habit of prayer time with God. A great tool that we have printed out on our week of prayer, I write it in my Bible, I encourage you to write it in your Bible as well, is this acronym ACTS, and it stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. If you set aside 10 minutes this, this week on a consistent basis, you might miss a day, you don't feel beat up, don't text a you know, church number and say like, pray for me, You know, like I didn't pray yesterday, like you just keep going. You just keep moving forward. This, this, the, that whole guilt and obligation is not what is the driving force of Christianity. It's grace and mercy. Can I get an amen? So you're invited to know God and walk with Him personally. This isn't a guilt and obligation thing. Serving in kids ministry in 2020 is it's guilt and obligation, okay? But, but your walk with God, it's grace, man. Set aside five to 10 minutes. Try that on a daily basis this week. And write down these, that acronym, adoration. What's one thing you can praise God for? What's one thing that you could say, God, I want to say I worship you because of this, an attribute that maybe moves you that day of his? Confession. Agree with God about your sin and ask him for forgiveness. This is where you get real with God. You acknowledge that you sin, but you also acknowledge his forgiveness. Get real with God on a daily basis. You know what I find is that when you have moments where you give in to temptation, you blow up at your spouse, you get frustrated, whatever it is, just go to God right then. He already knows. You say, Lord, I just want to ask you to forgive me right now. What a jackwagon I was. Your spouse says, amen. Yes, you were. I accept your apology. Thanksgiving, what's one thing you can thank God for on that particular day? One thing, God, I thank you for this. And you thank him. And then the S stands for supplication. It's just a word for praying, bringing our requests before him. And you just say, Lord, these are the things that I have need of today. I write under there, I write family, I write ministry, I write personal things, Uh, I write people I'm praying for to come to know Jesus. And you could write that in your Bible after this week, after you lose this little card, and you just write down A-C-T-S, maybe a couple of names of your kids, and you say, Lord, these are things I'm asking you to do in their hearts this year. I promise you, it will revolutionize your walk with Jesus. You'll never have a moment where you're just like, man, I don't even know what to talk to God about. Just go A-C-T-S. Maybe you spend six minutes tomorrow. It'll be the best six minutes that you have spent, and if you come before him sincerely, it's not like it's addition, it actually multiplies. It actually begins to like change the direction of your life when you do that on a Monday, and you do it on a Tuesday. Maybe you missed Wednesday, you do it on a Thursday. And you do that for 52 weeks, you have a solid walk with Jesus that revolutionizes your entire life and existence because you choose to say, God, I want to know you because he's given you permission to know him personally and to walk with him. Practice that this week. We give you guys these journals that you can set aside time to to write in and pray in and take notes in on a Sunday morning. They're free. They're out there at the Connection Center. They're also in this little... the little table as you walk in, man, write out like A-C-T-S and then just write the one thing that you're saying, God, I adore you for this. God, I confess this. And then scribble that part out in case your kids read it. And then, Lord, I thank you for this. You know what I mean? And God, these are the things that I'm praying for. It will change your life. You know, is about relationships. It's about knowing God personally. That's why Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,000 years ago, so that you and I might know him and walk with him. If you're a follower of Jesus, take advantage of the permission he gives you to come before him on a regular basis. If you don't know Jesus today, if if you're sitting here this morning going, I don't know that I'm a saved person. I don't know that if I were to die that I would go to heaven. Maybe you were like me when I was a young man where I I sort of had the balance of, well, I'm, I'm not as bad as some people, right, in life. But I also knew that I had some other areas of my life that weren't perfect. The Bible says that nobody is perfect. No, not one. There's nobody who seeks after God. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So what does it mean to become a Christian? Something I read earlier, all who received him, believed him, and accepted him, he gave the right to become a son or daughter of God, to be adopted into his family. You realize that you are a sinner like the rest of humanity. You choose to say, God, forgive me of my sin, and you receive Jesus Christ as Savior into your life. You ask him to come into your life and make you a new person. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But it's in a moment in a person's life where they surrender to Him and they say, God, today's that day. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're young, maybe you're old. Maybe you knew God as a young man, young woman, you walked away. Maybe today's a day that you need to say yes to Jesus and begin this journey of a relationship with Him in your life. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you for your love. Lord, thank you for giving us this incredible model of what it means to know you and to walk with you and to pray before you. Lord, we want to be men and women that are, um, Lord, fervently praying, seeing you move. We also want to be those that grow closer in intimacy with you, God, and walk with you and get closer to you. And so, Father, this morning, I'm praying that you'd bless every, everybody here, Lord, that has a, a desire in their heart, God, to know you more. I pray that this would be such a great week of momentum for us. Lord, we know we're going to have hiccups. We know we're going to have bad days. Lord, we thank you for your grace. that covers our sin. And Lord, you even cover our, our, our areas of our life where we're inconsistent. Lord, help us this year, help us this week to seek after you, Lord. And as we pray together for these specific, very specific needs of our church and our community, I pray that you would move in response to a praying church, God, who's praying fervently before you. Lord, I also pray for those who might be here that Today's their day to surrender to you, Jesus, to know you personally, to have their sins forgiven, their guilt removed, a relationship with you that's by faith and not religion. Lord, to have the hope of eternal life, that when they die, that one day they'll spend eternity with you in heaven. I pray for them now, that you would speak to their hearts, say, trust that you're knocking on the door of their heart. Would you help them to open up their heart and see you, God, to receive you as Savior and Lord?